0: And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to add my word to Jeremy and uh, Zach and remind you again of the life imprint. Frank Bartholomew invited Ray to that dinner last year, and that Ray's life has transformed forever. So pray about whom you're going to invite and bring to that dinner later this month. Um, every few weeks, I think, a couple of times a, a month we have the privilege of sharing our worship time with millions of people around the world through our satellite channel, Kingdom Sat. It's in 200 million homes, and we're so grateful to the Lord for all the Kingdom Sat team that we are live now in so many countries and in so many homes. So welcome them with me, please. Marhaba. That's about all I could say in Arabic, okay? (laughs) Father, will you please allow not your servant to speak a single word of his own, but every word would be ordered, controlled, and fashioned by you, Holy Spirit who dwells in us, that it will produce fruit in due season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the word shame or being ashamed um, has been turned upside down of recent years, right? (laughs) Uh, Things that we used to be ashamed of, now we are proud of, and we have parade to, to express our pride, and things that we used to take pride in, now we're kind of embarrassed and ashamed of it, and we we keep quiet about it. And that's because our culture has departed from biblical definitions of shame and have produced instead its own definition. A prominent psychologist defined shame as a master emotion. He said, it is very difficult to get rid of but I'm going to show you that he's wrong (laughs) in a minute. Because the Bible portrays shame as an indicator of how we respond to sin. And that is why there is a healthy shame and there is an unhealthy shame. Healthy shame is what comes when we realize that we have violated our own conscience, and that we can immediately turn to the Lord, confess and repent and receive forgiveness and restoration. That's healthy shame. The unhealthy shame or guilt is when a person rejects himself or herself, and they think that, well, I didn't just fail But I am a failure. And they begin to convince themselves that they are failures. And they condemn themselves. They condemn themselves as failures. They condemn themselves as they'll never measure up, they'll never. And sometimes that kind of emotion has developed in an early childhood as a result of uh, things like abuse whether it be physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse, that unhealthy shame comes from believing a lie. And a lie comes from Satan. Can I get an amen? Amen. That unhealthy shame often leads to all sorts of overindulgence and leads to all sorts of addictions. And that is why I thank God for the ministry of Living Waters ministry in this church, where it helps folks to unpack the difference between healthy shame that can come under the blood of Jesus Christ, be forgiven and totally restored, and be fulfilled in life, and unhealthy shame that leads to self-destruction. I thank God for them every day. Why am I taking time to clear up this confusion? Because the Apostle Paul, as we're going to see in a moment, uses the term shame, or being ashamed, and it is of of uttermost importance to understand what he's talking about. For example, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, because there are some things going on in that church, he said, there are some shameful things that are taking place in the church. Couldn't even be verbalized in words. In Romans chapter 1, he calls sexual perversion as shameful acts. But now we have departed from biblical authority in our Western culture. Some pastors have now accepted these shameful acts as love. Let me tell you at the outset. Those who dear and near to me know this, God is my witness. My heart aches for young students. It really does. My heart aches for them in this generation. Uh, they are under a tremendous amount of pressure that, of, of being ashamed of biblical truth. And I don't just pray for them, but we as a, t- as a team talk about how we can do everything that we can in order to strengthen them. And support them and to continue to have courage to stand up for biblical truth. And if there is a message from the Word of God today to the old and the young alike, to everyone in every generation, it is here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 18. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 18. Now, if you want to turn into your pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1853. We're going to have it on the screen, and as we're going to do throughout the series of messages from 2 Timothy, don't ever give up. That's the title of the messages where Jonathan is preaching at 9 o'clock, same passage, different sermon, (laughs) and I'm preaching here and we're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to ask you, as we're going to do throughout the series of messages, stand up and read the Word of God loud so that it may feed your spirit, your soul, and your mind. Go. The question I ask myself as I'm preparing a message like this, if the Apostle Paul himself is able to stand in this pulpit here today and be preaching to this beloved congregation, what would he say? I believe with all my heart he would say, please do not be ashamed of biblical truth. Please do not be ashamed of biblical morality. Please do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the name calling that they call you. Do not be ashamed, please, for believing in what is good ungodly. If I understand anything about 2 Timothy chapter 1, it is this. Shame is a child of fear. I'm going to repeat this. Shame is a child of fear. Fear and shame belong to the same family. We saw in the last message, for those of you who are here, we, we finished with, chapter, with verse 7 of chapter 1. And in verse 7 it says, For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but He has given us the spirit of love and self-control. That's where he finished, with fear. <laughs> and he immediately goes to the daughter of fear or the son of fear and talks about shame. In order to encourage the next generation to remain faithful, he is saying, never, never, never give up on biblical truth. Never be fearful to stand up for the truth. Never go with the flow to, for the sake of popularity. Uh, he started letting Timothy, letting Timothy know that the spirit of fear is not from God. And here he says, you need to be aware of the child of fear. And that's being ashamed of the truth. Being embarrassed about biblical truth. uh, Being, watering it down so that you don't get attacked. In my new book that is coming next month, I mentioned last week, and again I'm just mentioning this because I'm living this whole thing in my mind I have discovered in my research that every false teacher and every false preacher uh, who is ashamed of biblical truth and uh, decided to change the gospel, modify the gospel, water down the gospel, every one of them throughout history say that they're doing this in order to save Christianity. Every one of them says, we, we need to reinvent Christianity because it's not being accepted by the crowd at large. So we need to reinvent it. We need to reinvent how we do church. We need to reinvent this, and we need to reinvent the other thing. So they say to the non-believing worlds, who say, you're embarrassed about this part being in the Bible? Don't worry, we're embarrassed too. Um, uh, some of them actually believe that Pleasing the non-believing world is being relevant to the culture. And they call it, we are engaging the culture. They're not engaging the culture, they are imitating the culture. Uh, Some of them actually believe that if they present a palatable Christianity, not biblical Christianity, to non-believers, they may, just may, accept it. While Paul appealing directly to his successor, Timothy. He is writing to every one of us, and he is appealing to the next generation and to this generation, saying, don't sell out on biblical truth. Don't be embarrassed about the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the Word of God. Don't dilute it to the point of unrecognition. Don't Repackage the gospel to make it acceptable to the non believers. Don't ever give up on the gospel truth, regardless of what names they may call you. Please, you must understand that the Bible does not waste words. You heard me say that all the time, and, you, and, and, and understand, well, the Bible doesn't waste words. Had Timothy not being tempted to be ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of the the prisoner of the gospel, the Apostle Paul, had he not being tempted in that regard, uh, Paul would not have told him not to be ashamed. Had the Apostle Paul himself not experienced the temptation of being ashamed of the gospel, he would not have said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. You don't think Jesus understood that temptation? You know, our Lord Jesus himself did not understand that this is a big, big, big temptation. Why else would have warned in Mark eight thirty eight? Remember it, Mark eight thirty eight. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, I will be ashamed of him before my Father in heaven and his holy angels. Beloved, let's get real. You know me. I, 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 don't, give you, I don't give you smoke screen. <laughs> But let's get real. Every one of us, including your pastor, I, I never preach at you, I preach at me. Every one of us, including your pastor, care about the opinion of others, right? Some more than others. Well, I must admit that. In fact, we, are more, we care more than we're willing to admit it. We all find it a whole lot easier to go with the flow than to swim upstream. We all find it easier to watch television than spend time in the Word of God. We all find it easier to sleep in than get up early and get on your knees. We all find it easier to wink at sin rather than confronting it. We all find it easier to let uh, our kids get away with things than uh, go to the trouble of disciplining them. Uh, we all prefer self-affirmation uh, rather than self-examination. We all rather avoid witnessing for the fear of ridicule. Let's face it. None of us like suffering. None of us enjoy suffering. I don't know about you. I don't. I don't pray, oh, Lord, please, let me suffer for your name. I have never done that. Now, if you've done that, God bless you. I'm telling you, I I admire you. Our Lord and Savior himself in Gethsemane said, Father, if there be some other way. Paul said, I prayed three times for God to remove that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And when the crunch came in Caiaphas' house, Peter said to a slave girl, when she said, you are one of his disciples, who? said, who, who, not me? Jesus? Who's Jesus? I don't know him. Oh, my beloved friends, God's Word tells us that sometimes suffering is part and parcel of our faithfulness to God who is faithful to us and furthermore when the crunch comes and we begin to suffer for the for righteousness we are not going to be alone he's never going to leave us alone remember the worst thing they can do to me is what kill me <laughs> that is a wonderful promotion And that is why in verses 9 and 10, look at with me, verses 9 and 10, he's literally saying to Timothy, don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of death. Why? Because he said, God saved us and called us and brought us from death to life. (laughs) But that's not all. He said, God will give us the power to not be afraid when that time comes. Here is what every one of us, including your pastor, we all need to understand. We need to understand this. That when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, (coughs) He created them, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) He created them having dominion over fear. But, When disobedience set in, when God said, don't do this, and they did it, and disobedience set in, what happened? Disobedience brought fear. And in that irrational fear, fear, oh, most fear, fear is irrational. With that irrational fear, they thought, oh, they could hide from God. (laughs) He can hide from God. Oh, but listen, I'm getting ready to shout, because on the cross, Jesus restored that dominion over fear to everyone who believed in Him. Therefore, fear has no place in the life of the brothers and the sisters of Jesus. Can I get an amen? How come, do you say? How come? Well, just in case you don't know, just in case you don't know, you need to know that Jesus has given us authority over principalities and powers and authority of the darkness. If you're ashamed of the gospel, it's because of fear, then you do not know, or you have not yet learned, (laughs) how to take authority over these powers, authorities, and principalities. We say, how? Because on the cross… Jesus disarmed the principalities and the authorities and the powers, and he alone rendered them useless against his children. Because by his death, the Apostle Paul said, he abolished death. By his death, he abolished death. Can you say that with me? By his death. And in abolishing death, he abolished fear fear of death. Now, I need to stop here and, and make something very clear. The Bible speaks of death in three different ways. Because if somebody says, well, abolishing death, what do you mean? i Have loved ones died? I'm going to die by my dies. No, you understand, three ways in which the Bible talks about death. The Bible talks about the physical death. That's the separation of the body from the soul, and we all experience that. But the Bible also speaks of the second death. Um, it's the spiritual death, where the soul of the non believer is separated from God. Then the Bible also speaks of eternal death. That's when forever there is a separation of the non believer's body and soul from God. Hear me right, hear me right. All these three deaths came as a result of sin. They are sin's reward. But praise God, as I said, I'm getting ready to shout, Jesus abolished eternal death for the believer. He has not only abolished physical death because all the believers die physically, but for the believer... Our physical death means living forever with Jesus. For the believer, physical death is no longer the grim ogre that scares us as it does scare the (laughs) non-believers. Jesus said in John 11, those who put their trust in Him shall never, never, never die, shall never be separated from Him, shall never experience the second death. And because of this, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, my boy, (laughs) Timothy, my boy, (laughs) don't be afraid of it. The worst thing they can do is what, kill you? But that's not the end of the world. In fact, that's the beginning of it. Please hear me right. Paul is saying, the reason I have victory, the reason I have victory now, even though I'm in this dungeon of four walls and the little hole in the ceiling, the reason I have victory now, or I'm about to die, the reason I am not afraid of what can come to me, the reason I have not been ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what they do or say, is because I know that I have already passed from death to life. dead or alive physically, I'm already seated in the heavenlies. Do you realize that you are seated in the heavenlies even now? You're not sitting in this congregation. You are actually seated. There's a place in heaven with your name on it. You're already seated in the heavenly places. Look at verse 10 again. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Listen, when this body gives up on me, and it will, (laughs) I have a superior body that is waiting for me. When this body gives up on me, which it will, (laughs) I have a supernatural body that's waiting for me. When this body gives up on me, which it will, I have a spiritual body that is waiting for me in heaven. Ah, to be sure, not many of us probably Will end their life in a dungeon like the Apostle Paul. Not many of us are going to be beheaded for our faith, but some of us may lose friends over our stand for the truth. Some of us may be passed for promotion because of righteousness and standing for biblical morality. Some of us will lose business deals because of our righteousness in Christ. Some of us may be snubbed by neighbors and by others because we, stand, we take a stand. For righteousness' sake, some of us, very few of us, may lose their life. But the only thing that will happen when my life is snuffed out… <laughs> is I'm going to move from the basement to the penthouse. Can I get an amen? Here's something I want you to think about, and probably some of you have already thought about this. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why do they hate us so much? You know, it's so funny. You notice how today people who are brimming with hate, he <laughs> call the Christians haters. Isn't that amazing? It's like somebody takes your finger, put it in their eye, and said, ouch. <laughs> That's what they do in the secular world. <laughs> but why do they hate Christ? Why do they hate Christ's children, Christ's believers? Why, what, 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 what is it that makes biblical faith an irritant and a cause of anger to the non believers? What what about the believers? What what, what about the infallibility of the Word of God that that just want them to reject us? The answer, actually, is much simpler than you think. It's very simple. Here it is. Listening? If you're listening, say amen. Amen. Well, some of you are. (laughs) Listen carefully. Here's the truth. See, God saves us by grace, not by works, right? He forgives us all our sins when we repent and come to Him. The moment we recognize the gravity of sin in our lives and our need for forgiveness, God, by His grace and mercy, forgives us, transforms us, and justifies us. You say, well, what the problem? what's the problem with that? Why, why, why should this irritate them? Why should this upset them? Why does this make the non-believers angry? Well, because the natural mind, the natural mind, the non-believing mind, does not want to admit the gravity of sin. They want to take pride in it. You see, the, 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 they, they don't want to confess it and repent of it. They want to brag about it. The natural non-believing mind does not want to admit their inability to save themselves. What's this business? Somebody dies 2,000 years ago that I can be, he can save me. No, I save myself. And that is why today many a preacher, and that's really where my burden is, (laughs) many a preacher would rather preach man's virtue than Christ's cross. They reverse them. Today, they substitute one for the other. They really do. Ah, you, if you have good thoughts, good things happen to you. (laughs) If you say it, it'll be yours. It's all you, 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 you have the power. You can do anything you want to do. Right. As somebody says, there's some things you can't do. You can't kiss your elbow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh you yeah. lick the back of your neck? <laughs> Some things he can't do. But why do they substitute the cross of Christ for man's virtue? Oh, they want to be liked. They just want to be liked. They want to be accepted. They want to be admired by the non-believing world. Question what is Timothy to do? What are you and I to do? Verse 13, we are to guard the truth. We are to follow it literally. Why? Because it is God's blueprints. The word translated pattern here, pattern of sound words, it's really the same word used for architectural design what we call the blueprints. Oh. I, I remember clearly 20 years ago, Ed Van Winkle, a member of our church, you know, built this beautiful building 20 years ago. And I've seen him many times. I would walk down here and I see him and his colleagues, you know, pouring onto the blueprints and looking at it. But just think for a moment. I know he'll forgive me. <laughs> but think for a moment that if the builders decided, you know, well, some of these columns are not really necessary. Let's not put them in there. we got too many of them. Now, I know I got you all worried up in the balcony. <laughs> and I know some of you are going to start thinking, "Oh, is this building going the sand. Come on, don't, don't let the devil do that. <laughs> this building has been standing for 20 years. It will stand until Jesus comes back. Amen? <laughs> but I want you to think with me, okay? I want you to think with me. If the builder decides, well, there's just too many columns in the design, in, in the architectural design. Oh, well, let's... Remove, what will happen? You know what will happen. The building sooner or later may stay for a while, but it's gonna collapse. Beloved, we have blueprints for Christian home in the Bible. And when that blueprints are tampered with and changed, uh, the family will collapse. We have blueprints for sound, the ethical business in the Word of God. If those tampered with sooner or later that business will fail, we have blueprints. The biblically sound church found in the entire Word of God from Genesis to maps. If we decide to do what we want to do, choose this and reject this, accept this and refuse this, what's going to happen sooner or later, it might not be overnight, but sooner or later that church will cease to be the church of Jesus Christ. It will be the Unitarian Universalist church, or whatever church. Even the atheists have churches now. Can you? Did you know that? They have a church. If you decide like this British theologians by the name of N.T. Wright, who influences so many young preachers, if he says, we need to make the distinction between when, the apostle, when Paul speaking as the Jewish rabbi and when he's speaking as the apostle of Jesus Christ, who's going to make that decision? It's the height of arrogance. Now, I can tell you Sooner or later, the church that followed that formula will collapse. will no longer cease to be the church of Jesus Christ. Many churches have departed. We see them. It's in the news every day. If the blueprint of godly living, we begin to tamper with it and change it at whim, sooner or later... There's going to be spiritual starvation on the inside. And sooner or later, the appetite for the Word of God would have gone. And sooner or later, the desire to fellowship with other believers would wither. And sooner or later, a critical spirit is going to sit in, and like a house of cards, it will collapse. That is why the dying apostle is looking to death in the eye. It could have been days, no more than weeks, when he was writing those words and he's pleading with the next generation, please, please follow the pattern of sound words, all of it. Please follow the blueprints. The blue please do not try to improve on it. Please don't try to deviate from it. Please don't try to modify it. Above all, don't you ever give up or get tired of upholding it regardless of the suffering, regardless of the price, regardless of the temporary cost. Salvation is by grace alone. We receive it as a gift from God when we repent of our sins. By daily growing in Christ, what the theologian calls sanctification, growing more like Christ every day, growing in a spiritual sense. That's a partnership between you and the Holy Spirit, between me and the Holy Spirit, between us and the Holy Spirit, children of Jesus. Listen to me. You and I seek Him, and He is found. You and I knock, and He'll open the door. You and I call upon the Lord, and He will answer us. You and I walk with Him, he walks with us you and i delight ourselves in him and in his will and he will give us the desire of our hearts you you and i draw near to him he draw near to us and that is why paul said verse 12 i know i know oh audio this is, a, this is knowing experientially, not theoretically, knowing experientially whom I have believed. Uh, I know experientially that He is able to keep me faithful. I know experientially that He is able to keep and guard the truth of the gospel. I know experientially that He can empower me to uphold unto the truth unmolested to the end. Question. What is Paul's burden? Obviously, you see it right here in this chapter. His greatest burden as he is dying is that false teachers and false preachers have infiltrated the church. They infiltrated the church while he's still alive, just like they're infiltrating the church now. These false teachers and preachers, they are bent on corrupting the gospel. Uh, They are determined to rob the church of its most and only priceless treasure that has been entrusted to us, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I know, say that with me, but I know, come on, say it with me, but can you all say it with enthusiasm? But I know. that He is able to protect it and keep it safe to the next generation until Jesus comes back. Remember, the burden of the Apostle Paul as he was facing death is that Timothy be an instrument in preventing the truth of the gospel to be corrupted. But he also is aware of Timothy's proclivity toward fear and intimidation. He's aware of that. We can see it. I mean, the burden is oozing out of every word he's writing. And so the great apostle is advising Timothy, Timothy, you don't have to feel that you must carry that burden alone. Timothy, you don't have to feel that you can do this In your own strength, Timothy, you do not have to feel alone in carrying this awesome responsibility. Timothy, you need to ask God for help. Timothy, you need to be on your guard, but don't ever, ever, ever forget who upholds you as you uphold the truth. Timothy, be urgent in the task of holding on to the truth as you lean on God. It's clear from the last few verses of chapter 1, it's very clear that so many people in the church of Asia, remember Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus when he, wrote him, when, when he received this letter from Paul. He was in Asia. Paul was in Rome. And apparently... The Word got back to the Apostle Paul that there are some in the church of Jesus Christ in Asia just couldn't take the heat and opted to turn their backs on the truth. But thank God there are exceptions. As always, I thank God that there are many faithful knees have not bowed down to bow. I thank God for them every day. Uh, So many of them are dear friends of mine. And I was talking to Jonathan, some of you saw the video, you know, it's what I call the Elijah syndrome. I'm the only one, everybody, no, 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 don't fall for that. There are 7,000 knees that have not bowed to Baal or kissed him. There are faithful people, and Paul puts this exemption, this, in the heat of the battle, those who have departed, Onosiphorus is one of them. In fact, he writes about him in his epistle to Philemon, This whole one one chapter to the epistle to the Philemon, he writes about this faithful man. He said, Oh, but there are so many others have embraced, have embraced shame of being associated with the Apostle Paul. Others sold out to the cultural demands and cultural conformity. Others have defected from the demands of the gospel. Others have opted for entertainment. Others have opted for tickling the fancies. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's almost the images with, you know, I have a baby and go, 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 go. That's what a lot of uh, 200-pound babies in churches, are go, 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 go. They're tickled. We're tickling their fancy. Others cease to call sin, sin. Others have opted for what is called peaceful existence when in reality it's not peaceful at all, it's an apostasy. But as far as you are concerned, Timothy, resolve to ground your confidence, not in public opinion, but in Jesus, the guardian and a guarantor of the gospel. My friend Jay Secular, friendship I value for the last 30 years. My friend Jay Secular said, I am glad God did not run the Ten Commandments through a church committee to see if they were going to affect church attendance. <laughs> Thankful that he did not feel tested the commandments, so run it through Gallup Paul to see if they're going to affect his popularity. And that is why Paul said, Don't be afraid, Timothy, don't be afraid. God will never allow the light of the gospel to be extinguished completely to be sure. He entrusted it to us. He entrusted it to you. He entrusted it to faithful. As we'll see in the next message, He's asking Him in chapter 2 to entrust it to others. He is watching over it. God is making sure that He will preserve it. Oh, Timothy, remember. Remember that He is trustworthy. Remember that He's faithful. Remember that He will accomplish all things according to the counsel of His will. And so, my friends, wherever you are, and whatever you're going through right now, you can trust Jesus, the faithful and true. And you can trust Him all the way, all the way, until He takes you home and be with Him for all of eternity. Can I get an amen? Amen. Father God. I'm aware of the fact that if these were my words, they're only going to give your people headache, but if your words, they're going to bless them, encourage them, motivate them to live and walk and run and stay faithful all the way to the end. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand up and give God praise.